Well, welcome to another episode of Deep Water Podcasting, where we learn to make disciples just the way Jesus made disciples. And it is a learning process, isn't it? Absolutely, James. And I'm your host, James Judd. And with us, we also have the other co-host, Dave Mercer. So today we wanted to just talk a little bit going into like what are the experiences in our life where we look back and say like, you know what, that was like a huge help to me. It helped me become a better disciple. Like this is a, a man, I would assume most of us, a man that that reached into our life and mentored us for a while. And we wanted to look at that. And then on the inside, we want to also, without tooting our own horns, say, well, where, what's the turnaround where did we step in and do that for someone else? What are some of the fruit that we've seen from that? Well, let's jump in, Dave. What are you When you look at guys that have had big influences on you, who would some of those guys be? Yeah, certainly. And uh, what I want to do is start off by just giving a shout out to the local church that I grew up in. And while I would not limit that influence to one person, it's more of a, you know, the church-wide the foundation they gave me, I guess just to say, I went to college, and when I got involved with very, what I'm going to call intentional disciple-making, I kind of looked back, kind of uh, poo-pooing what I had received in my local church growing up, and now I realize that was pretty immature and ungrateful. Uh, so the first thing is just, I went to a church where now I can appreciate it. There were adults coming, some paid, some not paid, who were weekly giving their time to help me learn the Word and to, to care about me. So, first of all, there's that. Yeah, I agree. And that's, sometimes it's easy to overlook. And even to myself, I don't think I'd thought about that. But looking back now, yeah, that's definitely, definitely a number of people there. Yes, and, you know, some of them, they may not even have presented the Word skillfully or whatever you would have it, but they... Now, as an adult with a family, I can appreciate that they were showing up weekly to give their time to teaching kids, which man, right. I, I, I'll take all my hats off for them. So. But uh, to jump into your question, I would say the first person in my life who, the first example I'm going to use is a, a friend of mine named Wick. And it was really a God thing that when I went to college, I was really scared you know, I was from a small town and was scared about what college would bring and was even worried about would my relationship with God endure through it. And it was the first weekend there I was there that I met this this guy uh, named Wick, who was with Campus Crusade at the time, but was also connected with the Navigators. And from this, from the first weekend I met Wick, he was involved in my life. And I would almost use the word that he, you know, pursued the relationship. It wasn't casual or, oh, maybe I'll see you around campus. It was, you know, here he is showing up at my door. Here he is taking me out for, you know, a cup of coffee. Uh, it wasn't long before we were meeting in early mornings to read through the book of John, one that's chapter pretty, a week. That's pretty impressive for two college students, if I do say so myself. Yeah, and Wick at that time was a master's student, <clears throat> so he wasn't fresh off the boat or even a sophomore. Like, he was I would even go so far to say he was an adult at that point, you know, like a, not just voting age. He was a real adult. Like he, like a real actual one. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was responsible. It was so weird. And 
but yeah, he, he reached out and I th- I would say the biggest thing, yeah, he read the Bible with me. Yeah, he led me through some lessons. But the biggest thing was he, what it was like for someone to reach out to an individual who was different enough from them that I wouldn't normally be someone he would hang out with. And he made time in a very busy professional and academic schedule to be involved in my life and to to care. And I remember that fall, he even threw me a, a birthday party. It was small. It was just like four guys, but that's just something not many people do. And so I would say the biggest thing was he imparted his own life to me and, and included me in, in the most mundane of things, you know, washing a car or going to Sonic. And I probably wasn't always the best company. We got to be better friends later, but starting off, I was sometimes probably just kind of a pretty clunky, ungrateful guy. And but the Lord gave me that blessing to him of someone who was like, this is what it looks like to impart your life to someone. Right. And that's pretty good if you haven't ever specifically seen that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It it was, I won't say it was better or superior to anything I'd experienced. It was just different than a lot of things I'd experienced at that point. But definitely left a mark on me. Uh huh. And are you still in contact with him today? R- some we've we don't talk, but maybe a few times a year. But the you know the friendship's still there, and um, I'd like to look for a way. I need to look for a way to really show him, like, hey, I know our roles have changed in life. It's you know we're not. You're not my Paul anymore. I'm not your Timothy, really. But still, wouldn't be where I am without you. And Hopefully the things you imparted will pay dividends for years to come. Right, right. And what about your next guy? Who else comes to your mind? Okay, uh, the next guy was post-college. His name was Jeff Jordan. I actually met him through another guy who, who discipled me for a while, but Jeff is a guy that lives here in the city. He's a, a businessman. Uh, he's also had a history of, he was trained by the Navigators, but I guess you could say later he kind of had a, a heart or God put him in a place where he was into biblical counseling. And for me, I was kind of in a, a dark place after college and trying to get started in a job here in the city. And Was he the guy that for a while you were like out in lakes, jumping out in lakes, measuring stuff? Was he the guy that you were working for there no, or was that a different? No, he's a, he's a guy from Australia who oh, like okay. I said, had served with the Navigators. He'd been a missionary in India. And the context that we met is he was being trained as a um, kind of a non-paid, well, not, yeah, he was paid. He was with Scope Ministries mm-hmm. and maybe more later someday on what exactly that is and why people should learn about it. But but Jeff basically as a professional, I would say Jeff was probably around 60 when we started meeting, uh, already had grown kids, but you know, he like Wick, but in this professional life, he was making time weekly in his schedule. And like Wick, it was kind of a, a coffee coffee cup discipleship where we get together once a week, mm-hmm. but very available. Like he, it wasn't something he was doing nonchalantly or because he just wanted to get out of the house. Like he was giving, he's a businessman, self-employed. So for him, time really is money. Not like me, the guy that draws the salary check. And uh, the time he would give me once a week to sit down. I think Jeff really wanted me to understand, you know, God's grace. And so once again, he, he modeled for me, this is what it looks like to 
to impart your life to someone not in the college arena where everyone mm-hmm. has lots of time, but where we have kids, we have a job, we have a, a marriage to maintain, even minis- a ministry within our own church that we're not sacrificing to do this. So I would say that's what Jeff imparted. Right. Yeah. With both those guys, what I keep hearing you say basically is they were very intentional with you and you saw that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, I I know I'm going to, I've said it more than once, but it's that whole thing of we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but our own lives. And so, yeah, I would say those are the two I would mention. And there's more, but I would highlight those two because it's a good example of college where so many are exposed, I think, to intentional discipleship and then something in the after college, you know, that where I think most of us would agree intentional discipleship is harder. Yeah. It's not as casual. Yeah, that's right. And it's interesting how those two are different and making the transition. And even when I've talked to different college ministers or people that work with college students, a lot of them talk about that struggle from making the transition from like, I'm an active being discipled and hopefully actively discipling and then get out in the workplace and they just completely lose it because all of a sudden the structure is different. Life is different. And I don't know where to do that anymore. And sometimes I talk to people that really miss it and they're trying to figure out how do I do that? And they go to a church and the church doesn't do it. And so they're not really sure where to even begin. And they kind of lose that. And they're not exactly satisfied a lot of times. But figuring out how do I get back into that? You know, sometimes even in my own life, I think, you know, when I'm an empty nester, you know, I'll have lots of time then. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Right now, where do I squeeze it all in? Oh, the scary part is that when you, all the retired people I talk to, they generally have the sentiment of, I'm busier than I've ever been in my entire life. So I think it may, it's, it's probably always a mirage that, you know, I know there's seasons where maybe we've just started a new job or, or you just had a baby or just had a baby hypothetically, not that that's the case here. Of course, for, for all the listeners out there, we just had a kid 11 days ago, so we're in the thick of it, but. It may be that mirage down the road that there's going to be a more convenient time. There may be a more convenient day or week, but as f- yeah, it's always, I think, going to be finding, yeah, finding drop your nets and fall. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Carpe diem. Yes. That rings a bell with you. Seize the day. Yeah. And you can never say, I'm going to do it later, even though... In different seasons, it's tempting, although in some seasons, I also think you do have to legitimately say, I have to pull back. And yeah. sometime else, we'll talk about boundaries and what that looks like. For me, when I think about people, you know, first, you know, going back, and you would say the same, even though you forgot them, your parents. Yeah, I had great parents, and they they modeled a lot about what it was to live as a Christian, put values in me, gave me a love for the Lord, just all kinds of great things. And what they modeled best was, you know, how to disciple somebody over 18 years when they live in your house and you change their diapers. You know, it's like, I got that from them. And it wasn't until later till it's like, okay, well, what do I do if someone's not living with me? 
And also, I didn't, I had not thought in my list, but my church, in a lot of ways, you know, there's some things that I could poo-poo them as well. But in a lot of ways, they were a great church, and we were a retirement community or had to live on a big lake. And so there was a number of people in our congregation who were retired pastors, and they would come in. And I can think of a lot of them that, you know, would pull me aside, or I'd go over and visit. Uh, one guy gave me, like, this huge volumes of, of a commentary, all one guy, I can't remember who, but it was like a 12-volume commentary or something. Yeah. And he was kind of, he was at the, even though he lived a, probably 15 or 20 years later uh, before he passed away, you know, he, he was basically done with them and he passed them on to me. I think about cool. uh, Dan Pierce. He was my pastor when I was in high school. And even though he didn't really disciple me there, or he, and he would say he didn't, he didn't understand that. He did start giving me opportunities when I was probably the summer after my junior year. In the summertime, our church would have two services. So if people wanted to get out to the lake, they could. And Dan just told me, he said, anytime you want to preach the early service, you can do it. Anytime. There's no pressure. Anytime you don't, I always have a sermon that I'm going to preach in the, in the second service anyway. Yeah. And so I got this opportunity to preach and to get some feedback. And of course, everyone's really kind to a, a young preacher. No one really, no one really mm. jumps on you then. Yeah. But it really wasn't equipping. Hey, here's, this is how to do this part of the ministry. And I really appreciated that. And I think of some other people that, that jumped in along the way. And there was like tidbits. I had a college minister named Cliff at the first college. And I met with him for a little while. I just had some questions I wanted to ask. And looking back, he did some discipling with me there, although it did stop and like I didn't catch discipleship there, but it was definitely a big impact. Uh, when I was in the military, I had a chaplain that had a big impact on me, gave me some opportunities. And then it was really when I went overseas the first time, I think I caught a lot of things from the IMB and their training, caught a lot of things that were disciple-making like. I just didn't fully understand it yet. But again, it really opened up my eyes, gave me this idea of what, what's it really look like not, not to be in this little rural church of 100 people that's roughly had 100 people for a long time, but like what's it mean to go into a nation and want to see God like really move, like a movement, a multiplication, that kind of stuff I got from them. And then it was actually when I was back overseas, just sent by our church, that's where Dan Pierce came back into my life again. And he was like, I've got to teach you about disciple making. I've been missing it. I'm getting it. I've got it now. And he's been a huge encouragement for the last five years. And he took me through a really good book that I liked that kind of explained it to me. And then he's been, he's been there for me. Anything else I've needed, questions I have. And I really know I could call him at three o'clock this morning if I needed something. And he'd answer the phone and if he's two hours away and if, if I needed it, he'd come drive and help me. I was like, no, no questions. And uh, he's there for me and has got my back. And, and he does that for a lot of, a lot of people. It was kind of nice. One of the times while we were overseas and we came back for a little furlough, you know, he invited me into the group of churches there and I would, I'd go to the Sometimes some of the local pastors would have lunch together, and I'd go to there with him and just get his insights on things and get to meet other people that were serving. It was a big help for me. Hmm. And there's others as well, but those are some of the big ones that come to mind. 
what if we flip the table and we say, okay, without, without tooting our horns, let me tell you about all the times I made amazing disciples. What are some times where you say, you know what? I'm not even saying I did it perfect, but I definitely saw that God used me in a discipling fashion with somebody else. What are some that come to your mind? There was a gentleman in college I had the opportunity to meet with. He was about three years younger than me, which at the time I I felt very old and mature compared to him. Right. Chuckle, chuckle. But anyway, he and I would meet weekly. And like me, he was a a farm boy who'd grown up in rural Oklahoma and was, I'm going to call it a church-centered person. Like he you know, so anyway, we hit it off really well, and we would meet weekly and go through some lessons and, and pray and talk. And it was one of those things where before the meeting, I was always wanting to cancel it because I thought, oh, man, I haven't prepared. Uh, he's going to find out what a big fake I am, and I just maybe I can think of some reason, and I wouldn't want to do it. And then we would sit down and just go, man, this was the best time ever. Why do you think that was? I think, first of all, I didn't quite understand what my job that's a crude word, but what my job was in the role. I think I had this idea that I needed to be, have all the answers, to have everything together, and just to be flawless, don't show any weakness, you know, don't let him find out about the sin struggles that I may have just battled moments before I came. I just felt like I really couldn't. So I think that was part of it. Right. I, think, I don't think I felt the freedom just to be completely real with him. Yeah. And I think a lot of us start there. And I think we still sometimes struggle with it, even after we know that's not the case. Yeah. Um, there was, there's an author named John Lynch who, who writes and talks about how shame causes us to try and bluff our way into making people believe we are what we already are. So if I'm in Christ and he's, you know, on my worst day, I'm Dave in Christ, as John Lynch would say. And I've really got nothing to prove, but shame shame can convince me otherwise, and all of a sudden I'm in the bluffing game for no good reason. But to, to roll forward with the story, he and I met for a while, and then he, in fact, uh, I took a while to graduate. He stayed on and did vet school. And you squeezed four years into five? Yeah, call it six, but <laughs> let's just, let's move on. <laughs> so we parted ways because life happened and I moved away. He moved away and we really don't keep touch that much but every now and then he comes down to the city and we will meet at Starbucks if we can and a few months ago he met and he he just you know Dave I'm still meeting with guys can't my wife meets with girls we you know we really believe in mentoring and in fact it was kind of sad cuz he goes are you still meeting with people and I was like well no and it was kind of this deal where I I know there. I really didn't feel ashamed, and I don't think he looked down on me, but there was still kind of this element of sadness of, oh, well, okay. And he said, he said something really interesting. He said, you know, I've come to think that the difference of whether or not you keep on investing in people, or maybe even said meeting with people, if we can use that terminology, is whether or not you're in a community of people who do that. Mm. But regardless of the fact that I have had a lull, it was still nice to see that despite what has come in life, in and out of life since then, it's a real privilege when God gives you a chance to see the fruit that has endured and that, you know, just because 
something's in the past doesn't mean that the that positive effect didn't happen. And right. I can only believe that maybe as we were having all those meetings in those coffee shops in college that, and I was feeling, you know, insecure and scared that he would find out what a goofball or really a jerk I was, that God was doing something in spite of me. Right. So, Right. That's really true. And sometimes, and I'm not, I'm not saying this about you, I'll say it more about me. I think there's sometimes people see it and they're like, you know, if he can do it, there's no reason I can't yeah, do it. There you go. Which I guess is kind of how God wanted it. He said, uh, you know, I choose the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and, or paraphrase there. And, you know, he's, this is the same God who says, no, the army's too big. If I use all of you, you'll think you won the victory. You send, send right. most everyone home. So, I guess before we pat ourselves on the back, we can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a definitely a true thing of one. It's not really about us. It is about our obedience. But God does a lot in spite of us. And he does it with our weaknesses as much as he does it with the things where you're like, man, I nailed that. You know, it's as likely as often to be when you're sharing like, man, I I really blew it here. And someone else is like, you blew it? You know, like, wow, that, that helps me. In fact, I remember a time at the BCM, there was a guy who had come and spoke at our lunch day, and he would speaking about pornography and about purity, and I just kind of had this real real strong impression, uh, and when he was done, I just stood up at the table. I was like, hey, you know, listen, like all you guys, I want you to know, you know, like I've, I've had a, a big problem with pornography, and I went through this program. I don't even know if it's still out there, but it's called Setting Captives Free, and if it, it's been really good for me. And if, you know, if you guys are struggling, come talk to me, try this program. And later I had a guy that was like, man, I, I can't believe you said that, but I, but I, you know, I'm doing it now. I'm trying it. And it really helped him. And it wasn't like the, I've nailed it. I've got purity figured out. It was like, yeah. I've been there in the trenches and that's as likely, <laughs> this is how I got out of the trenches. Cause we're all down there. Yeah. Who else uh, do you look at and be like, I nailed it there? I would say one thing I noticed about myself in, in college when I think about that time is I ended up kind of starting more guys in discipleship, and then they would they would have to go on to someone else. And I eh, could delve into the reasons for that, but uh, there was, there was a, a guy named Cody, and uh, actually the one Wick who mentored me, he introduced me to Cody and kind of got us started meeting. And Cody was, you know, he's a great guy. Like he was one who really had a, a testimony of, you know, the kind of testimonies that was real earthy and gritty. Like uh-huh. I was doing these things before I came to the Lord. And then one night it all came together. And it was like, but he was, he was a guy who once he grabbed the vision, you know, when we were meeting and going through the different things together, he really caught the vision. The Lord really, I would say, put the vision in him, you know, once again, in spite of me. And he went on to meet with numerous guys. One, which was a, a guy in your group, Jake, that's actually how you and uh-huh. I met, was to, uh-huh. you could say in a way, Cody. So, and even after I had, had kind of moved on and really, to be frank, kind of quit meeting with people and quit trying to disciple people, Cody was still you know, going strong and making decisions to orient his life in a way that would would let him continue to help those guys. So 
once again, while I would like to say that I have never once wavered in my commitment to make disciples, it's, it's like, well, that's not true. It's nice to look back and go, well, that's the good thing about discipling someone is uh, independent, ind- independent of your life. They go on and they can keep doing things. And, you know, hopefully we all stay on that track. And Right. Yeah, we play a part in di- different roles in different people's lives. And some of them, I think, you know, we're... Where it's like your child, you know, you're going to raise them their whole life because discipling is a lot like parenting. And then there's others that's more like you're their uncle. It's like, I'm here for this period or I'm, you're their teacher for this year. You know, I'm, I was here for this period of your life. And then either physically we moved away or, you know, spiritually you needed somebody else. And, you know, you play the role that you have to play and you yeah. let God play his role and you let the, the person you're discipling play their role. And sometimes when it's ready for a new coach, you know, you... Send them to a new coach, and I don't think there's any shame in that. Yeah. Yeah. What did uh, Paul say in one of the epistles that, like, you have a lot of teachers, but not many fathers? And Right. And while I don't want to get away from the context of that verse, but what I kind of, one nugget I dig out of that is, yeah, there's always going to be people lined up who are willing to say, let me teach you something I know. You know, allow me to ascend to the position of schoolmaster over you. Uh, mm-hmm. For whatever reason, it's hard to find someone who just has that genuine love. And I think that can even take the form of, like you say, of the uncle and the older brother. Like, there's more knowledge out there than there is love to impart. So hopefully we have both, knowledge and love. Right. You need them both. Who else comes into your mind? I can think of a couple. See if you picked them or not. Uh-oh. kind of wondering who you're going to say now. I don't guess you're going to tell me this. I'll go ahead. I would say another guy is a C, as in the letter C. So he he was another guy kind of like Cody and, and Michael, who I met in college. We actually were on a dorm floor together. I remember walking in his room one day wearing a towel. I had just come out of the communal shower, and he was it was kind of an awkward moment. But that was like the beginning of our friendship and uh, ended up getting him connected into the, the discipleship group I was part of, and we, we met together for a while. You know, I keep using this word meat. Like, I was mm-hmm. imparting these lessons to him, but, you know, there's still time to get it with friendship. And that's, you know, in these days, he is now um, one who is imparting the gospel of Christ overseas in a place where the local government doesn't even want him to be in East Asia, a place in East Asia. Cool. And how much did I play in that? I don't know. It. I watered Apollos. I planted Apollos watered. Is that how it goes? Something like that, one way or the yeah. other. Yeah, I may have just raked the soil in his life for a few minutes. Either way, it's just fun to see that you've done something in someone's life. And, and long after he kind of had a need to meet with someone more mature than me, you know, the friendship has, you know, has never died. He's, you know, aside from you, James, when you were in East Asia, he's my other friend who I still use the social media to, you know, send messages back and forth. In different time zones, you know, I record mine while I'm on the way to work. He records his when I'm asleep. The relationship is endured. So that's that's another example that I would claim as a success. Not that I, you know, did it, but a blessing from the Lord. Right. And you played your part. Yeah. Yeah. What about Bobbick? Would you consider, what would you say with that? Yeah, that's a great example. So Bobak was a friend from the Middle East, and uh, he had become a a Christian here in America, and our pastor at the time, Kirk, introduced me to him, 
And at the time, I was it was a great time in life. I had a job, no <laughs> wife, no girlfriend, a little bit of money, and a lot of free time. And uh, he was kind of in the same boat, and he and I just kind of became running buddies. And I never, I think I always wanted him to see me as someone he looked up to. But one, he was about 10 or 15 years older than me. Right. And two, I think I see it now. Really, I think what he just needed at that point was just some companionship from another person in Christ and someone who really cared. Because I'm going to keep hit. Maybe this is a theme we're going to keep hitting on. But I think in the, the immature tendency is to see I can disciple because I have knowledge. And I think mm. in getting more mature, it's no, I can disciple because I have love. And yeah, I've got some knowledge to go with that, but man, I right. think the, the love is usually more the limiting factor. And I think that's what it was like with Bob is we just kind of became running buddies. And looking back, I can see that that was a, it was a tremendous blessing for me, but it was, it was a blessing for him too. I remember times like I still drive by the house that he rented uh, on 23rd street and think about the times I would spend the night at his house and we would just sit there and drink tea and you know, he would let me sleep in his bed while he slept on the couch, which seems kind of weird. But hey, this is cross-cultural ministry, this right? This is cross-cultural, yeah, <laughs> which is probably, like, one, it's very respectful from him to let a, a younger man, you know, like, there's all kinds of oh yeah respect yeah. and culture going on there, which is pretty awesome. There's some awesome people from other parts of the world. Yes. In the morning, he would take a, he would say, ah, the word tomato and potato is kind of the same, no? And he would cook us up some (laughs) breakfast, but we still, we still Facebook just a little bit, but you know, he's, he's back in his home country. But yeah, that, I think what, I'll just kind of end on this point. The, what I would take from that relationship is once again, at the time I was looking to validify, is that a real word? I was looking to give myself like a stamp of approval by him looking up to me or me sharing knowledge or me trying to convince him of some spiritual truth when, you know, that would have been great and fine if he did. But the more important thing was that there was real, you know, Christ love in that friendship. And yeah, so I see, thanks for bringing that up. And more is caught than is taught. Mm. And I can think, I think if I started running through people or, I might have to spur your imagination on, but, you know, you start thinking back at Northwest, just people you invest in, and again, some of them you invest in a lot, and others you just invest in a little bit, but that's that's not the important thing, and it's really not the important thing of, like, how much knowledge you teach them. Sometimes I get caught in that same trap of, like, boy, what all I got to teach this guy, but it, it's as much caught of, like, well, this is how how you live I'm not, I don't completely agree with what I'm going to fix and to say. We can all read the Bible, but how do I live it out? Yeah. You know, I read that verse that says, I'm supposed to honor my father. How do I live that out? I read the verse that said, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I'm, uh, yeah, love my neighbor, love my enemy. But, how, you know, what does that look like now that I'm a Christian? What's this supposed to be? And what they need is someone to love on them and make some mistakes with them and do life with them. And, and minus the mistakes part, that's what Jesus did. Now, Jesus had knowledge, yeah. too, but and he didn't make any yeah. mistakes. But he, those guys walked with him, talked with him. Yeah, and maybe we could even get close in that, that maybe at least there were points in his life where he, he definitely wasn't afraid to be vulnerable, like about, hey, you know, can you can you pray with me? You know, I'm, I'm over here sweating drops of blood. I'm yeah. anxious about the crucifixion. So he... 
I'm overwhelmed to the point yeah. of sorrow. Yeah, well, we can't say he made a mistake that he had to confess like we have done so many times. We can at least say he he was real with them and he wasn't afraid to be who he was, so he didn't have to hide. Right, and I think there's a great freedom the more we can embrace that. Not saying like, ah, just be whoever I want. But yeah. like, you know, I'm trying to follow Christ, but this is who I am, warts and all. Yeah. And hopefully I'm getting better as I go, but... but but look in, come into my life. I'll come into yours and we'll know each other and we'll, we'll walk together on this path of following Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, when I think about people, there's some, you know, I really, I really got mostly exposed to this overseas. And so a lot of the people that I think of are internationals. And one of the first guys I think of, we, I didn't even understand discipleship at the time, but he and I traveled together hours and hours, miles and miles. We rode buses, we rode trains, might have rode an airplane once or two, twice, rode cars. Uh, You and I spent some time. (laughs) I remember the time, I think the cheapest hotel I've ever stayed in, you, he, and I, we paid a dollar, I think it was a dollar (laughs) twenty. And that was for all four of us. Oh. Well, all three of us. And there was one extra yeah. bed and the restroom was outside and there was a big, big dog guarding it. Yeah, you know, a and sad I didn't, dog. Yeah, a sad dog. <laughs> if, I, if I had to guard the restroom, I'd be sad too. <laughs> and what I see from that, not that I didn't understand discipling and I, I wasn't necessarily doing it right, but he was a very young believer at the time. And what he saw is that I got up in the morning and I read my Bible and you know, this is how I was trying to share my faith, and this is how I apologize when I did something wrong, and, you know, this is good and this is bad, but he, he just, we spent all that time together, and I think it was really good. Yeah. And the next guy I want to talk about, this was more after I started getting it, and he was a, he was a house church pastor. And I just kind of, he, he and I kind of do this. I come into his life at different times. We're not a day-in, day-out friendship. Like we're cordial or whatever, but there'll be different times in his life where, you know, where I have something, something he needs and he'll come to me. And really the first time I try to say, (laughs) what part of the story do I tell? The time I'm really thinking about, he came to me and we went through some of this discipleship material together. But what I think was really the benefit to him was he was tired and he was burned out and I would encourage him, and I would affirm him, and I would tell I would I would tell him the things in, that I see in his life. Oh no no you know God is using you. Like I see you doing this. I see this in your life. This is how your wife is. This is how your kids are. You know, like you're doing things. And I remember sometimes where like he's like this this stone faced guy, right? And I remember times like he would just cry. You know, and I don't know that he got all the material I was trying to teach him or not. I was doing it in a second language and he was getting it in his second language, but it was an encouragement to him and and he took it and and it kept him on. He's still, you know, still a house church pastor. And then, you know, we didn't see too much of each other for a while. And then, you know, a little bit before we left, before we moved home, you know, he kind of came back into my life and we spent some more time together and you know, there were some things God was kind of impressing on him. This was some things that I, that I, that he, God was showing him that he needed with his church. And he was, I was kind of a feedback board or like I had had some of the training for kind of the way we was seeing God do some of the things that God was saying, you you know, your church needs to expand. It can't stay the same. And so we got to talk about some of that. 
And again, you know, there was some all kinds of issues. One was my horrible language skills. And so it was really hard for me. I think the biggest thing missing was I couldn't go with him and disciple somebody together with him. I could tell him about it, could ask him how he was doing it, but I couldn't really go model it. And that was a that was a missed opportunity. And what I'll trust is that God has a better plan and that he'll, you know, make up for my deficiencies. Yeah. Then I think, you know, I have some other other people. Think about a guy named Mark who's a few years older than me and his son, who's a few years younger than me. They're both grown. And Mark's this great guy. And uh, he was at a time where he, you know, God was really growing him, really changing him. And he and I went through this real-life discipleship training manual together with his son. And it was a great thing. And I think, one, he was a really humble guy uh, to accept training from somebody that was younger than him. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, I think it was a benefit to him. Uh, I think it was a benefit to his son, and last I taught, they were they were the kind like you know Mark was already very mature, maybe didn't have that full, maybe as full understanding of discipleship kind of like I had been, you know. And so then I I went back overseas and I messaged him and he's like, yeah, you know, the Bible study at my house, we're doing it, and we've started two others or two of those people have started two others, and it's just like wow, yeah, you know, that's that's the way. And you know, I I played this this really small role in his life, but it was a role. And uh, God used yeah. me there. And the last, uh, there's a lot of good stories. You know, when you think about it, and I would not give myself the title of this great successful disciple maker, but when you're intentional, and that's really the thing I, I learned the most, I think, is like you have to be intentional in making disciples. You have to be intentional in connecting with people. And when I look back at you know, there's all these sorts of people. I didn't do it perfect, but I was intentional, and I connected, and I, I helped them for a little while, or I helped them for a long while, but there was a, a point in time where it was useful. And I'm even thinking I went to Nepal not quite a year ago and to a discipleship school, and they wanted me to come and train for a week on disciple-making. And I had all kinds of different things I wanted to train, but one of them I wanted to give them this this tool of using a story cloth going chronologically through the Bible. Yeah. And I did that. And what I figured out, uh, these were kids like all 17 to 20-ish, a couple of them that were older. And they were obedient to the Word. But there was this huge gap after I went through the cloth with them the first day. And I kind of flew through it because I just thought they knew them all. And I realized the second day, from the Old Testament, the only stories they knew was the, was the creation story. And then there was one or two of the, the students that knew quite a few of the others, but nobody knew them all. And these were like, this is kind of a cultural thing, but, you know, like any kid that grew up in church knew all of these. You know, like these are pretty basic, big stories of the Bible, and they had just missed them, but they were obedient to the ones they knew. And so for them, it was just filling in this this knowledge gap of like, you are you are obedient, but here's, a, here's some big, huge main key stories in the Bible that you don't have a knowledge of. And I pushed them and they dug in. And I mean, they were already on a pretty tight schedule in this discipleship school and they used their free time and they learned the stories. And I was really proud of them. Mm. That's cool, man. Yeah, it is. I think there's lots of people that we affect if we're intentional. And again, we don't, we don't have to bat a thousand. We don't have to be perfect with them, but come along in that time you know, be the be the guy that invests in them. And sometimes it's knowledge, sometimes it's love. I think it's always modeling for them. 
this is this is how we live the live the Christian life. This is how we live the Christian life when we just messed up. You know, this yeah. is how we confess our sins. Yeah, because we're always we're always modeling for people. Like even if we were to renounce any intentions to disciple or to follow Jesus, like we would still be modeling. I guess it's just a question of what are we modeling, and you know, even if it's just a ride to to church for you know, international student. Here lately, I've had a chance to meet one-on-one just every now and then, about maybe three times a year with a, an older guy who knows a lot more about the Word and spends a lot more time in the Word than I do. But I have a chance to give something to him when I meet. I see things from a perspective that he doesn't. So we, we both mutually benefit. So maybe the best thing we can do, being intentional is leaving our egos on the shelf. There's probably a lot of times when, there's probably times when, yeah, it's like, I I do want to impart something to you. I do want to be in the role of teacher, but maybe we get too hung up on that and just say, you know what? You know, every relationship is a chance for me to, to bless someone, to, to treat someone like they're like Christ and just give what we have. Yeah, I agree. And the thing we need to do is just jump in and do it. Get started. Yep. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Deepwater Podcast. I'd like you guys to think about people who have had an impact on your spirituality. You know, who is it that gave you an experience in being discipled? And a bigger question, who are you going to have an impact on? If you aren't already praying about it, start praying about it and see who God starts to bring into your mind. And as for us, if you would leave us a review and subscribe on your podcast listening device of choice would really appreciate it it's a big help and until next week we'll see you later